Hello and welcome to the ICANN Community Church Podcast with me, your host, Bishop Wayne Malcolm. ICANN Community Church is situated in London's East End and comprises a youthful and diverse congregation. For details, visit our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com. But now, join us in one of our live services where I'm teaching transformational truths from the Bible. All right, how many of you are hungry for a word today? And the rest of you? Let's try it again. How many of you are hungry for a word today? Mm, hallelujah. Well, there is a word in the house, and I want you to go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. And... going to be all over chapter 20 and certainly encourage you to read in your private time second chronicles chapter 20 it's a very very powerful chapter it is loaded with lessons it is packed with principles and it will equip you for victory Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to read verses 14 and following. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. Now, There is a reason why the scriptures document Jehazel's lineage before stating that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And it is to establish his legitimacy, his authority, his credibility in the prophetic. It is to show that he's from a credible lineage because what he's about to say in the spirit is going to require tremendous faith. Amen. And he said, hearken ye all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Verse 17, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow 
go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to continue our series on spiritual warfare. And it's been an eye-opening series thus far. We're going to take it to another level today. And I'm going to entitle today's message, Knowing When and What to Fight. Knowing When and What to Fight. And I want you to join me in prayer. Let's ask the Holy Spirit for the mind of Christ today. And would you lift your voice and talk to God? Thank you, Jesus. Sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, how we need you. Now more than ever, we are thirsting after you, longing for you, and are desperate for you. We need a word in season to become a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. We need a word to heal us and deliver us from destruction. We need a word that will transform our lives, shift our paradigm, bring us into the epicenter of your perfect will and master plan. And this we have prayed in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. So last week, uh, we looked at the nature of spiritual warfare, and we talked about the fact that Christ has already stripped the devil of all of his power, that even though Satan walks about as a roaring lion, he is only seeking whom he may devour, and this means he doesn't have the power to devour he needs permission. And God is not giving the devil any permission to devour you. It is we who permit the destruction. He is walking about as a roaring lion because he no longer has the power of his bite. Christ has taken the bite out of him. What he has left is his voice. His voice. What he has left is the power of a lie. And we pretty much see this in the Genesis, that it was not the presence of a snake in the garden that posed a problem for Adam and Eve. It was a conversation with the snake in the garden that created a problem for Adam and Eve. The presence of demons, devils, in an atmosphere, in an environment, do not pose a problem for believers. What poses the problem is a conversation. Because the conversation starts with a suggestion, which then, if unchecked, if unchallenged, becomes a scenario. And when acted out, becomes a stronghold. So that we move from suggestion to scenario to stronghold. And it becomes a stronghold when the scenario is being acted out. Once you speak out of it, once you act out of it, once you're making decisions out of it, 
it now becomes a stronghold or a fortress where the demonic is concentrated and it is being held vigorously to protect that territory so that the true nature of spiritual warfare um, has more to do with fighting the devil in your mind than it does the devil outside. Very important to, to get that and it may take a while because I think we all inherited a doctrine of devils that is a doctrine of devils. I need to say that again. I think we all inherited a doctrine of devils that in itself is a doctrine of devils. So that the devil we're fighting typically is a Hollywood commercial demon that operates by haunting houses and possessing rooms and doing things outside of human beings. Whereas the truth is that no spiritual entity has any authority or legitimacy on planet Earth without the cooperation of a human being, without the invitation, instigation, and permission of a human being. So that whatever evil you see happening in the world, it is fundamentally happening through people who have been affected and infected with the venom of the serpent, which is the conversation, the lie. There is something going on in the head of a person that stabs another person, something going on in the head of those that kill and those who are corrupt, something's going on in their mind. Because that's the battlefield, that's where the, the battle is happening. Now, why is this important and why are we taking this to another level today? Because I think that we are in danger of misdirecting our firepower and we are in danger of depleted energy by fighting something that victory in that battle won't make the slightest difference in your life. We have to learn how to discern what is a distraction, what is a smokescreen, what is not worth fighting, what you can simply ignore, what's going to go away all by itself. You're going to have to learn that so that you can save your energy, retain your focus, and keep on keeping on. Every battle is not from God. Please remember that if that if God sends you into a battle, he is going with you. But if the devil invites you into a fight, your job is to turn the other cheek and say no. You're not turning the other cheek because you're weak. You're turning it because you are strong in that you are focused and you are not about to entertain the distraction. Because even after you win that fight, you have still lost because you've lost time, and you've lost energy, and you've lost focus, and you've lost direction, but you've won an argument with someone that really didn't matter in the end of the day. It does take two people to engage in argument, and just because you're inviting me into one doesn't mean I should go into it. That's what turning the other cheek means, and we're going to have to learn how to do that. 
And I can think of no greater uh, uh, example and model for this than the story of Jehoshaphat that is documented here in 2 Chronicles 20. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the story, I'm going to get you familiar in just a few minutes, okay? So just a few minutes of context. Will this work? Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. He's relatively young. He's 35 years old when he ascends to the throne. And he is, he is responsible for the safety and the prosperity of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah, which doesn't cover the entire kingdom of Israel. It's just the southern uh, part of the kingdom, but it is a unique country, Judah. Its capital is Jerusalem, and he is responsible as the king over Jerusalem and Judah. He hears that an alliance of enemy forces are coming against him. The alliance is made up of the what is called the children of Moab and Ammon and Mount Seir. Moab, Ammon, Mount Seir. Now, here's what's interesting. What's interesting is that this is an alliance coming against him. This is not just one thing. And when you check it out in your life, it's never just one thing. If it was just one thing, we could deal with the one thing. But typically, when the enemy is coming against you, it's an alliance of things. Can, any, can, can anyone relate to what I'm talking about? It, it's never just your finances. It's never just your marriage. It's never just your health. It's everything coming together, and they're forming an alliance against you. And so that the odds stacked against you are very, very great. When you're feeling overwhelmed, it's because there is literally too much going on. And the size of the company coming against Jehoshaphat was simply too big for him. His army was simply too small. And so the Bible says that initially he feared. But his fear led him to fast. Everyone say fasting. fasting. Woo, one more time, say fasting. fasting. Now I'd say the fear is all right if it induces a fast. He went to fasting, he went to prayer, and we're going to examine his prayer in just a moment because it is, the, it is a model, it is a masterpiece of effective spiritual warfare in the arena of prayer. I'm going to break it down today. He fasted, he prayed, he led the congregation in a fast and in prayer because, because when you know that there is nothing you can personally physically do to change what is happening around you that is your signal that you've got to go to fasting and to prayer if you if you feel like you can deal with this you can solve this there's still some options left on the table then you can make prayer a little piece of added insurance and maybe join the prayer line on Wednesday and perhaps on Friday but when you know that without divine intervention you are going to be wiped out by this situation that's your time to go to fasting and prayer can I hear an amen from somebody and, and if you haven't gotten to that place yet where you know that unless God steps in, it's over for me, then hang on, you will get there eventually because that is how life works. Everyone has to pass through that season when you are, have run out of physical options. Your personal resources are not enough to change substantially your situation. 
So Jehoshaphat and the company are praying. And while they are praying, the spirit of the Lord fell upon Jehazel, who is the prophet. And the prophet stands up. Now, please understand that if, if an alliance is coming against you, they are not coming just to visit. They're going to kill all the men. They're going to kill half the women. They're going to take the rest into captivity. They're going to slaughter and sacrifice the children. The stakes are very, very high. And so while they are praying, the Spirit of God comes upon Jehaziel, and Jehaziel stands up in the Spirit, and he begins to say, Do not be afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, it is God's. My God. You know, in hindsight, that sounds so good. But if you were in the middle of it, there is enough room to doubt. You, you understand what I'm saying? There's enough room to doubt. Just because someone's shaking in the camp and speaking, just because someone decided to get up in the spirit and say everything's going to be all right, now I want to look into his credentials. I want to I examine forensically his credibility to know that this is not just a delusional brother shouting in the midst of a prayer meeting. That's how I'm going to feel, right? That's how, and that's why the Bible gives some lineage to him to say, look, this wasn't just any old brother standing up and, and shouting out of his emotion. This is someone who is coming from the, a lineage of prophetic authority and Levitical order. And this man is not taking his own words lightly. So he is speaking and he is saying, this is not your battle. This is God's battle. Then he says, tomorrow, go out against them. Don't wait. Don't sit there. Don't just hang on to see what will happen. Some people's waiting on the Lord means I'll see what happens. Some people have misunderstood what it means to wait on the Lord. Amen? Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. It doesn't mean sit back and see what happens. But to wait is actually the job of a waiter, which is to serve. So go ahead and serve the Lord. Serve the Lord and he will renew your strength. Serve the Lord and then you're going to see what happens. What you're going to see is the salvation of God. So he says, look, I want you, he says, he says, now just go out against them tomorrow. And then God tells them exactly where the enemy is. Let me tell you something. God knows exactly where your enemy is. You'll find them by the cliff of Ziz over against this particular border. That is exactly where they are. Now go to where they are. Ooh, this is so good. Go to where they are. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to where they are. Amen. Don't, don't run away from your problems. Go and face them now. Don't, don't, don't have this. Don't bury your head in the sand and hope that it all goes away. No, go out and face the situation right now. But I want you to face it with a particular attitude, with a particular mindset, with a particular kind of faith. Now, after Jehazel has made his prophecy, it is then that Jehoshaphat says, okay, I agree. 
He then says to the people, believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets and so shall you prosper. That's where the verse comes from, from this story on spiritual warfare. He says, now you have to believe God, you will be established. Believe the prophet and you are going to prosper. And he says, we're going to go out against them. And if you read the story, he goes out against them and organizes that the singers and the players of instruments go first. And they are to sing a song that says, praise ye the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, I'm not sure what beat, I'm not sure what style, but they were out here singing and there's musical instruments involved. So they're making noise and they're not singing under their breath. Now watch it. They're not singing under their breath. They have gone out with a song and in front of them is the choir. Now you're going out to face people with swords and with shields and with spears and with catapults and all kinds of ancient technology for war. But you're going out there with a song, clapping your hands, beating your tambourine, singing unto the Lord and magnifying God. It's crazy because sometimes God's answer to your situation is crazy. But understand it's only crazy to the carnal mind because the carnal mind cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness unto him. He cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. So often what God will ask you to do in order to deal with a challenge will sound crazy to your natural mind which is why your level of faith has to be at a place that you trust that God can take my crazy and give me victory with my crazy I wish I had some help in here today I want you to look at your neighbor say neighbor God can take your crazy and give you victory with your crazy so they go out singing Watch this now. This is just my quick context. They go out, they sing, and while they are singing, the Bible says the Lord set ambushments against them. What that means is they started quarreling amongst each other. They started to distrust each other. They started to suspect each other, and one group, uh, two, rose up against the one. So the children of Ammon and Moab came against the children of Mount Seir and absolutely slaughtered every last one of them and said, huh, you think, you think we were fools? This was a trap, right? And, we know. and so they ended up killing them. And then after they finished killing them, they argued with each other and then they killed each other until the last man was dead. Now I try to imagine this because I'm graphic. I have a great imagination. It's a good thing for a preacher to have. And I try to imagine Imagine how is it that there wasn't one man left standing. I think what it is, the last two were swinging at each other with their swords. The one guy got his cut. Ah! And as he's about to fall, he... Ah! Now the two of them... Ah! Now they've fallen. Come on now. That's right. Love them movies. Anyway, they've both... They're both slain. Now thousands of people are slain on the floor. Now the problem for them is that they've brought all their riches and all of their goods with them. They've brought all their property and all their possessions because no one's going to take an army away from their possessions. They said, you know what? We're going to take it all with us. So when the children of Israel finally get to the cliff edge singing their songs, instead of finding a living army, they have found a dead army. 
and not only are all their enemies already dead, but gold is shining among the corpses. Silver is shining among the corpses. There's all kinds of treasure, and it took three days to collect all of the treasure. I wish I had some help. This is this is, we're, we're about to go on a psychological journey that is so deep and so profound. It's important to understand that what God is saying here in this story, what he's saying is this, that sometimes what you, sometimes you will not have to face the thing that you are afraid of if you move towards it without fear. In other words, you, you see, when you're moving towards an enemy, you've already figured out, you've got the scenario of the battle in your mind, and you've also got a scenario of defeat in your mind. But when you get there, what you find out is that God has already gone before you, and he has already dealt with it. It reminds me of the Marys that were coming to anoint the body of Jesus on the third day after his crucifixion, and their conversation was, who is going to roll? away the stone how are we going to get someone to move the stone now you're bothered about something that you're projecting in the future but God is already in your future and when they got there they found that the stone had already been rolled away I'm here to tell someone today that you're worrying about a future that God is already in and you're getting nervous about a tomorrow that God is already in he is the same yesterday today and forever he's already in your tomorrow that's why your prayers have to take on a slightly different dimension because I'm going to break it down today because we spend a lot of time trying to tell God what is about to happen but he said when you pray don't be as the heathen because uh, with their vain repetitions because he said uh, they think they will be heard for their much speaking, but when you pray, pray to your Father which is in secret because He knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. So before you even know what you need, He already knows what you're going to need and He's already in the future making it happen for you. Is this making sense? So by the time Jehoshaphat has got there, the battle has already been won. But God's saying to him, I don't want you to wait until the battle is over. I want you to start praising me right now as if you have already won the battle so that by the time you get to the battle front, you will see that the battle had already been won. I wish I had some help in here today. This is a very powerful piece of psychology because all fear is based on a prediction. And the devil informs our predictions and gets us predicting the worst. What we are called to do right now is to predict the best. I, I just want you to go ahead. I just feel like I need to pause for this minute. I want you to go ahead and predict the best outcomes for your life from this day forward. I want you to say it all gets better from here. Come on now, just say it with your mouth. It all gets better from here. 
it gets better and better from here. I'm predicting the best over my life. I'm predicting victory. I'm predicting prosperity. I'm predicting progress and I'm predicting promotion. I'm predicting that the best is yet to come. That however good it's been in my past, it's going to be much better in my future. I am predicting the best. It's very important that you speak into your future what you want and not what you don't want. It's very, very important because when God is creating he doesn't look at darkness and talk about darkness he looks at darkness and says let there be light he looks at the chaos and says let there be order he looks at the death and says let there be life you have to learn to speak what you want into what you have and not allow what you have to dictate what you say God is saying, Jehoshaphat, I want you to act like you have the victory right now. Act like it. Sing like it. Talk about it. Prophesy it. Say you have the victory right now. So thanks for bearing with me through the context. Now, now let's get to the message. I want you to notice then that Jehoshaphat's fight was not with his enemy his fight was in his own mind to believe what God said the only fight you are called to fight is the good fight of faith your fight is to believe your fight is to trust your fight is to resist the spirit of fear your fight is to believe the prophetic, what God has said concerning you, because the enemy is not your fight. That's God's fight. And it's very important that we distinguish between our battles and God's battles. Why? Because God won't fight your battles and you cannot fight his. I'll say it again. God won't fight your battles, what you're supposed to fight, and you cannot fight his. So you're going to run out of energy fast fighting God's battles and you're going to get very frustrated and angry with God quick if you're waiting for him to fight your battles. So we got a lot of believers who are frustrated and angry like where is God, where is God, where is God? And the truth is that you are waiting for him to do something for you that he has asked you to do for you. And he's not going to do it for you. Reminds me of when I was, uh, you know, when I wanted a driving license, you know. I was a young man. I wanted a driving license. And I, I went to prayer. I went to prayer. I got on my knees. I got on my face. And I was praying, oh, God, I need a driving license. I need a driving license. I was a young man. I'd become a young minister. And I want to drive a bus. I want to go and win souls. God, I need a driving license. You know I need a driving license. God, give me a license. And I will never forget, God spoke to me as clear as he has ever spoken to me. And God said to me, would you also like me to go to the post office for you and pick up the application form for your provisional and fill it out for you? <laughs> it's just at that point, I realized, hold on a second. I'm here begging God to give me a license and I haven't even applied for my provisional. 
Remind me of another incident I had as a young man. We bought our first church van. We had the church van, and my gosh, we were so proud of it. We went around singing everywhere, inviting everyone to Jesus, and all of a sudden, the van just conked out. Stopped, wouldn't start. There was about eight of us <laughs> in the minibus. We got out of the van, checked, did all the checks, nothing. Still won't start. Say, aha, spiritual, this is a spiritual warfare. Laid hands on the van, start to bind Satan, casting out the devil, breaking any yokes of bondage, demonic covenants. We went in to deal with all the witchcraft in the area. Satan, you won't stop us. We're binding it. We're speaking in tongues. And all of a sudden, someone said, you know what? We should check the petrol. Now, the thing is, it was, an, it, was, it, was an, it was a used vehicle, and the petrol gauge was stuck. So he said, well, no, we should check the petrol. So he got something put into the tank, bone dry. <laughs> now we've gone on foot to a petrol station, got the tub, filled it back up. <laughs> now it started. So did we waste a lot of time binding and loosing and casting and dealing with the devil and witchcraft and everything else? You see, we were just naive. We were young. We didn't understand that God is not going to fight your battles and you cannot fight his battles. Therefore, if you're fighting his, you're always going to be losing. And if you're waiting for him to fight yours, you're always going to be confused about the reality of God at work in your life. So now you have to figure out, okay, what's my battle? When do I have to fight and when do I not fight? Would it be helpful if I answered that question for you today? When am I supposed to be fighting and when am I not supposed to be fighting? Because sometimes we're not clear. And if we're not clear, we lose a lot of energy. I want you to look at your neighbor say, neighbor, choose your battles carefully. You are not supposed to fight everything Everyone, you are not supposed to be in some chronic state of fight that you're always fighting something, someone, there's some issue, you're outing every fire, you're a busybody, you are too involved with lots of things that God never called you to be involved in. I don't know why I needed to say that, I just needed to say that today. We become busybodies. Always fighting something for someone to where you actually don't feel normal if you're not fighting. Something's wrong. You wake up in the morning, the sun's shining, something's wrong. I need, it's too quiet, it's too peaceful, something's got to be wrong. You're not supposed to be in that state of constantly fighting. Not at all. You now have to figure out what's your fight and what's God's fight. Because if you know what's God's fight, you can leave it with God. You can look to him. If you know what's your fight, you can equip yourself and you can go to war. Woo. So let me tell you the difference between your fight and God's fight. Are you ready? Yeah. Would it be helpful? Yeah. Should I just quit right now? No. So here is the simple rule. If God sends you into a fight, he wants you to fight. 
If the enemy comes against you, that is not your fight. Oh, deep. Oh, deep. If God sends you into a fight, he expects you to fight with him. But if the enemy comes against you, that's not your fight. That's God's fight. <laughs> it's very, 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 very deep. Very deep. See, see if the enemy's going to come against me, he's going to have to deal with God. Because I don't have permission to break my focus, change my direction, or waste my energy on anything that he did not call me to do. I don't have that authority to just reinvent everything to deal with your criticism. I'm not allowed to not, not study the word of God while I'm dealing with your problem. So I'm going to have to stay focused on what he called me to do. And I'm going to have to put that particular battle in the hand of God. This is very, very deep. See, this was not God sending Jehoshaphat to war. This was Jehoshaphat busy building his kingdom. And the enemy came against him. Which is why God said, you won't need to fight in this battle. This one is not yours. This one is mine. The only thing you're going to need to fight is the battle in your mind. You're going to have to fight to believe me when I tell you that I've got this. Woo! You're going to have to fight to believe me when I tell you I've got this. This is not your fight. This is my fight because, see, I've called you to build and establish this city and to establish this kingdom. And it is the devil that wants to break your focus, rob you of your energy, derail your destiny, and take you out of place. You stay in your place and watch me do what I do best because that is not coming against you. That is ultimately coming against me. Someone said, no, Bishop, I need more scripture. What else could Jesus mean when he said, if a man smites you on your right cheek, turn to him also the left? What is he saying? He's saying, that's not your fight. He's attacking you. Okay, I'm going to need to help someone out here. Let's talk about road rage, shall we? Do you know how many people have derailed their entire destiny fighting a battle that God never initiated in response to someone else's behavior, language, attitude. Now, let me tell you, when you respond to that and you jump into that fight, right? You're pulling over. Oh, yeah? Yeah? You're getting out of the car. Yeah? Understand that God is not with you. You better have good muscles and good fighting skills because God is not with you. He never sent you into that. You sent yourself. Is that right? Say, oh, you know, you see something going on. Now I'm going to go in there. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to stop everything. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to. And you're gone. You're gone. You're gone. Because <laughs> the reality is, if God didn't send you into the fight, he's not going with you into the fight. When the enemy comes against you, you need another strategy to deal with the enemy that comes against you. The enemy that is fighting you now cannot consume your mental energy, must not consume your time, must not successfully break your focus, must not become a derailment of your destiny, and must not become your distraction. We have to learn how to lift it to God. Are you ready for a little tiny bit more? I want to show you how to pray 
the most powerful spiritual warfare prayer without mentioning the devil once. God help us all. I've been in some places we're going to pray some spiritual warfare now. And every demon and every demonic name and every demonic thing is what's coming up in this prayer. No, that is not biblical. Are you ready for something biblical? Woo! Go back to 2 Chronicles 20. And we're going to read the prayer of Jehoshaphat. And we're going to start at the fifth verse. Are you ready? And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? Hold on a second. Jehoshaphat says, I'm not here to talk about the devil. I'm going to pray my spiritual warfare prayer by starting off telling God how great he is. Because when you're telling God how great he is, you're telling yourself how great he is. Your very prayer should build your faith. So that when you are praying an effective prayer that is going to be give you victory in a battle that you did not initiate, you have to start by lifting up your God above the enemy that, that, that is confronting you. You have to see him higher. You have to see him greater. And you have to start by declaring you are God and you are God alone. And you are Lord above all the earth. And and you are the sovereign of, over all of the heathen. Now watch this. And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee. He's winning the battle in his own mind. Through his prayer. Watch this. Art not thou our God? Now he shifts to covenant. Everyone say covenant. In other words, you are not just the almighty God. You are our God. Who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever. In other words, I'm starting out by saying, God, you are almighty. There's nothing you cannot do. Number two, you are my personal God. Number three, this is what you've already done in my past. Are you seeing what he's doing here? He's putting God where he belongs. He's establishing the covenant that he has with God. And he's looking back and saying, God, you already drove out all of these people from before your children Israel. You've already done this before. Somebody said he'll do it again. You already done this before. See, sometimes when we pray and in a state of panic, we forget what God has already done. We forget how great God already is. We forget the covenant relationship that we have with him. And we have to remind ourselves in that prayer, are you ready for a little bit more? 
And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou will hear and help. And now, so what is he saying? He's saying, look, God, this is not about us right now. This is about you. That actually, if we lose this fight, it's your loss, not ours. Because you are the one who started a good work in me. You are the one who is going to have to finish it. What you've done in my past, you are more than able to do in my present. And you've already promised to do in my future. And therefore, I am looking to you. Now, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned them from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, look how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given. Look, look at this. You ever, you ever been there before where you're praying? Say, God, look at this. Look at these ungrateful people. Look, look at this. He goes on. O oh, our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. See, the art of spiritual warfare is this. When you are attacked, your eyes must be upon him. When you are attacked and you go to prayer, don't tell, the, the, don't tell God how big your mountain is. Tell your mountain how big your God is. When you're attacked, don't tell God how big your enemy is. Tell your enemy how big your God is. Keep your focus on the might, the majesty, the promises, the covenant, the history, the performance of God. See God bigger than the situation. Because by so doing, you are winning the battle that is in your mind. And when you've won the battle that is in your mind, that is your battle. That's the one you have to fight. When you win the battle that is in your mind, how are you going to know that you got victory? You're going to know you got victory because the fear will begin to go. You're going to feel the fear of the situation leaving you. The fear of the situation leaves you when you get victory in your mind. When you pull down the stronghold in your head, the fear of losing starts to leave you because you're already feeling like because God is for you, no one and no thing can be against you. And you're now walking in a sense of peace. Once you win the battle in your mind, you are ready to accept a crazy prophetic instruction a prophetic instruction like get your tambourine and go out and worship me in the face of your enemy I can't do that unless I win this battle in my mind sometimes we tell people come on just give God a praise you can't do it until you win this battle in your mind you can't win this battle in your mind until you make God much bigger and much more faithful and much more awesome than whatever you're facing outside. But once you lift him up in your mind and he's magnified, isn't that the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, lift him up, put him above it all. As you lift him and you put him above it all, now you start demolishing the strongholds of fear. The fear goes and now obedience kicks in. Everyone say obedience. Say obedience. 
Oh, one more time, say obedience. If there is a subject that is much misunderstood, it is the subject of obedience. Ah, I'm, I'm almost done. Obedience. You know why? Because we were taught obedience to the letters of the law. We were taught that actually obedience is a cause and victory is the effect. I'm going to say it again. We were taught obedience to the letters of the law. Now I'm going to say something crazy. I'm going to say to you that God does not actually want your obedience primarily. He wants your belief primarily. Why? Because you can obey God without believing him. But you cannot believe him without obeying him. So he says primarily, I want your belief. And our problem is that we thought that obedience was a cause and victory is the effect. Whereas what we really find here is that, is that, is that victory is a cause and obedience is the effect. Victory in your mind will cause you to obey an instruction from God. But if you don't have victory in your mind, God's instruction sounds crazy. It sounds self-defeating. It sounds like you're asking me to commit suicide here uh, because you don't have victory in your mind. Your fight is the fight to believe. Once you win the fight to believe and God tells you to sing and shout and dance on that devil's head, then all of a sudden you're ready. I'll tell your story. Tell you a story. As a young minister, young minister, young pastor, we bought a building, bought a church. Little congregation. I was also an evangelist, and I had a preaching crusade in Sicily, Palermo, Sicily. I'm in Sicily, Palermo, preaching up a storm with my interpreter. I get a phone call. I'm told, sit down. Sit down. I know what that means. I mean, it means something really bad has happened. The voice on the other end said, an arsonist has attacked the church and burned it to the ground. I said, thank you for telling me to sit down. I was about to fall out. And you know how spooky legalistic people are with any crisis that happens. I mean, if God is with them, how could, how could? You know, you're not allowed to suffer anything once you're in a certain environments. Can I just tell you, you're not in that environment here. Whatever you go through in your life, we already know that God is for you. We, we, don't, we don't have that theology here. Because if we had that theology here, we wouldn't be able to explain Joseph in jail, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We wouldn't be able to explain Jesus on a cross if we believed that only good things happen to good people. I got back on the flight. They picked me up at the airport. I said, take me straight to the church. I want to go to the church. Took me to the church. The building was still standing, but everything was gutted. And I said, can we get in? And my deacon at the time said, yes. And he pulled out a crowbar, yanked open the door, and I've walked into hell. You know the aftermath of a fire? It looks like hell. It smells like hell. I walk into hell, and I can recognize 
little things that used to be there. And I walk out into the middle of the sanctuary. And God gave me a crazy instruction. <laughs> so I said, could you all give me a little bit of room, please? Just room. Thank you. Why? I want to dance on these ashes. Now, I won't show you the dance because I was younger then. And I, had, I had more skills back then. But I began to dance this kind of Hebrew dance on these ashes. And as I danced on the ashes, surely the saints thought, he has lost his mind. Poor pastor, young man, he's lost his mind. I hadn't lost my mind. I was dancing on the ashes. And as I danced on the ashes, I saw something on the floor. It was gray. It was a Bible case. Plastic, gray PVC Bible case on the floor. Next to where the organ was, the organ keys had melted into each other and the organ keys were on the floor all melted into each other. The plaster had melted off of the wall, but there's a plastic PVC Bible case. Showed it to me. It's a sign. I went over to it through the rubble. I picked it up. It didn't have a Bible in it because this was my case. I kept my microphones in it. I unzipped it and all of the microphones were inside the case. And I heard God say, son, open your Bible and preach the gospel. Everything's going to be all right. And that was my message. And that's all we did. For six months... Moving from venue to venue to have service. The arsonist followed us, by the way. Burned down another building. <laughs> we, we, almost, we couldn't rent nowhere at one stage. God called him up and said, excuse me, um, your hall, is it for hire? Oh, yes, it's for hire. Oh, great, great. Because we need a place on Sunday. We're the church. We've been in the newspapers. We, we, we're in one building. It was burned down, unfortunately. We got another one, and then that one was burned down. So we're wondering if we can use yours this week. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were for six months. Guess what happened in six months? In six months, we doubled in size. Our insurance paid for all of the renovation for the original building. When we got back in the original building, we were twice the size we were when we had left it. It was the beginning of revival in so many ways and on so many levels, both with our prayer, our worship, our intimacy with God, our faith, our courage, our sense of strategy. Everything began to change. In other words, it really wasn't my battle. It never was. It was always God's battle. Somebody say amen. It was always God's battle. When you win the fight in your mind, you're ready to do the crazy. Because your fear is gone. When you win the battle in your mind, you can look at the enemy and sing. 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 Oh my gosh. Please stand to your feet if you're ready to participate in the crazy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's no way that I can finish this message today. So here's what I'm going to say. For some of you, you are fighting a battle that you did not start. You did not initiate it. 
The enemy has come against you. The enemy's come against you in multiple areas of your life and is robbing you of peace, robbing you of focus, robbing you of joy, robbing you of vital energy, emotional wholeness, because he's attacking you. God sent me today to tell you that this is not your battle. This is his battle. And the only battle you need to fight is the battle that's going on in your head. You need to pull down the stronghold called fear. You need to pull down every disbelief and every doubt. Pull it down and say, no matter what it looks like, God is good to me. God is looking out for me. God is looking after me. God will not leave me. God will not forsake me. And when you pray, I want you to pray simply lifting him up. Amen. Would you lift your hands up to the Father right now? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now I'm going to give you a prophetic instruction. It's a simple instruction. But I want you with your mouth to begin to magnify God above whatever you're dealing with. I want you to begin to tell God that you're bigger than this illness. You are bigger than the debt. You are bigger than the crisis. You are bigger than my challenges. You are bigger than all of it. You are better than all of it. You are my God in spite of it. You are almighty above all of it. Hallelujah. I want you just to begin to magnify God above whatever you're dealing with right now. Just lift him above it. Lift him above it. Lift him above it. Lift him above it and lift your voice as you lift him above it. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.